What's up, runners? As you might have noticed, we do not run ads on this podcast, and we do that very intentionally because we don't really like ads when we listen to podcasts, and we figured you probably don't either. So if you appreciate this podcast and the content that we put out for you weekly, could you do us a big favor and just help us grow the podcast by sharing this with a friend, taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media, or leaving us a review on iTunes. All of those things really help us to grow the podcast and to reach more people. And if you do that, we would be so grateful for you. So, on to the show. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right. Hi, Real Life Runners. We are here today. We have a special guest with us on the podcast today. We are going to be talking with Becky Gacky, who is a real life runner with a very interesting backstory. Um, It's a story of resilience. It's a story of life kind of throwing you a curveball and figuring out what to do with it, which all of us have experienced at some point in our lives and some point in our running journey, I'm sure. So I'm really excited to talk to you today, Becky, and um, I'm really looking forward to what we're going to cover on the podcast today. So welcome, Becky, to the Real Life Runners podcast. Well, Angie, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here, um, having the opportunity to both share my story and also um, how my journey led me here through my um, fitness and health background. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited about this conversation. Awesome. So why don't we start out today and with your story, because I really think that um, there's a lot of parts of your story that our, our listeners are going to connect to. And I want to just kind of, you know, take us back because you had an incident in your life that kind of changed everything for you, right? You are absolutely correct. I, well, if we back up, I made fitness and health a priority my entire life. I mean, I'm a former division one athlete, a personal trainer, a, um, tennis club professional, and, Yes, I made fitness and health a priority, as I said, my entire life. And But what ended up happening is, as I refer to it, as that an unexpected turn happened. And what I mean by that is that life took me down a path. I knew I was headed in a direction, and then an unexpected turn happened, and I ended up uh, being in a terrible accident. And that accident happened to take place during a triathlon competition. And it was a competition, Angie, that I had done before and that I had actually won before as a member of a male-female relay team. Mm -hmm. And so what had happened is that I was uh, competing in this triathlon as a female-female relay team. And my gosh, my partner was her first triathlon. She was the first woman out of the lake. And so she came running up to me. She threw her goggles off. She came running to me with a big smile on her face. She gave me a high five to take me at because I was going to do the bike portion mm-hmm. for the race. Well, now I was a competitive cyclist. And so I knew exactly what needed to be done mm-hmm. is just hold my own on the bike. And then, and then just finish my finish off with my regular 10 K run. And then Kate and I, yeah, we were going to win our division. I mm-hmm. knew we were. And but what ended up happening is that I was on the bike portion of the race and I saw that last turn that was going to take place. And so then I'm like, oh my gosh, all I have to do is get up that last hill, build my momentum going down the hill. And then, like I said, 
run my regular 10K. No other woman had passed me on the course, so I knew exactly what was going to happen. But what ended up happening is that I woke up six weeks later. I was in an ICU bed and my head was in my dad's lap. And I noticed that my mother was sitting in a chair next to the bed. And I looked around the room and Angie, there were people in the room. I, I didn't know who they were, but everyone had a very serious look on their face. And my head was killing me. Now, I never used to get headaches, but my head was killing me. And I, and I just kept thinking, what's going on? Well, what ended up happening is that was explained to me is that when I was going down that hill, another competitor did an illegal bike change and he ended up cutting me off. And the speedometer on my uh, bike read 35 miles per hour. And so what ended up happening is that his back tire hit my front tire. It flipped me and the impact when I hit the ground, it was my head that hit the ground on the left side. And because it, I was going so fast, then the brain shifted on the inside of my skull and hit the inside right portion. So I had not one, but two traumatic brain injuries. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's unreal, right? Like, cause here you are at leading the race, right? Like your, your uh, teammate was leading the race, handed it off to you. You were feeling super confident and then just like out of nowhere. So do you remember any part of the accident or like, cause when, when you tell the story, it sounds like you don't really remember the accident. I don't yeah. at all. And I, and I feel like that's our, our body's way of protecting yeah. ourselves because mm -hmm. truly the last thing I remember was that turning that corner and, and pushing and pulling on my pedals. I was down on my arrow bars. I was feeling so good because no other woman had passed me on the course. Yeah. I knew what was going to happen, Angie. I knew with all my heart what was going to happen. Yeah, but that's proof right there that even, even when we are so confident that we think we know what's going to happen, that's not always what happens. And I think that like so many of us can relate to that too. Like whether it's, you know, hopefully no one ha you know, has had as traumatic of an experience as that. I mean, I'm sure people have, but, you know, even if it's just a muscle cramp, right? Like you, you're feeling really good in, in a marathon mile 20, like this happened to Kevin, um, in his Jacksonville marathon, he was up at the front. He was in the top, top five runners in Jacksonville for the full marathon. And all of a sudden at like mile 20 or 18, his calves started to cramp a little bit. 20, it was just like, he, it seized up on him and he had to walk. Right. And so this was like a race that was going to be in his head. Like this was a breakthrough. Right. And then his body just didn't cooperate. And unfortunately yours was a lot more traumatic. You know, it wasn't your body not cooperating. It was the external circumstances that took you out of this. But I think that this is like just one of those times in life that, you know, we can, do all the training correctly. We can be pushing hard. We can be recovering with the nutrition. We can be in the best shape of our lives. And there are just some things that are out of our control. 100%. And, and I want to bring up the importance of living that healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Because what my parents were told by the neurosurgeons is that they had never seen someone with injuries like mine live 
let alone walk out of the hospital. Yeah. And they attest it to the fact that I lived that healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And that the body you were, is amazing. That you were in as good a shape as you were when you, when that accident happened. Yes. Yeah. And, and so that's an, a, a testament to just how important it is that we live the healthy lifestyle and that we do the right things because we never know when that unexpected turn might happen in our life and 100%. completely derail that healthy lifestyle. Yeah. A hundred percent. So after you woke up in the hospital six weeks later, what was your recovery process like? Long and slow. How long were you in the hospital? I was in the hospital for, for the six weeks and a little over six weeks. And I was released to go home because the accident happened about two hours from where I was living. And then I was released to go home and I was placed under care in my hometown with a, um, another neurosurgeon. And I was in, uh, I was in, uh, you know, physical therapy and rehab for about six to eight months afterwards, uh, working on the, my, uh, left cochlea had shattered Mm. in the accident from the impact and that caused vertigo which um, I wasn't able to drive for a long time because of it. And um, just uh, going through that whole process of going through physical therapy on how yeah. to, um, how to deal with that. And also learning what I can and can't do. It was those, uh, those little adjustments that you, that you, that you just take for granted. Like for example, laying down on a, on a, on a bench to, um, to do a bench press. Mm. or take or doing yoga and getting into a yoga pose I had to be so careful right because my vertigo would kick in and often I would be at the gym and I would be laying down to do a bench press but I'd lay down too quickly and I'd fall off the bench <laughs> I'd mm. have to say oh I'm okay it's okay or I'll be in you know in a yoga class doing um doing a a, a pose but then I end up falling because I my head's in the wrong um position. Yeah. So do you, are you still affected by that today? I am okay. not to the degree, but uh, yes, I still have to be, okay. I, I still have to be careful. So do you mind if I ask, how old were you when this accident happened? I was 32. 32. Okay. 32. Yeah. So you were still young. It was at like prime athletic years, especially in triathlon. Um, so what did that rehab process look like? You said you were in rehab for about six to eight months afterwards. And then, and then what happened, you know, like either, you know, can you kind of take us through either the rehab process itself or kind of what happened after the rehab? Did you just kind of jump right back into your athletic endeavors or did it take more time? Like how, how, what happened after? Well, I wanted to jump back in. And, but what ended up happening is that now I wasn't one to, you know, to take pain pills or like I mentioned, I I never got headaches. I never really needed to take, you know, um, headache medicine or any type of pain pills, but I was on pain medication for months and months, which I did not like. I hated, I did not like being on it, but I mention it because that entire time that I was on that medicine, I thought that I wasn't able to smell and taste things because of the medicine, the pain pills that I was on. But really what ended up unfolding is that in that accident, 
my olfactory nerve was, was damaged. And mm-hmm. so I could not smell and taste things at all. And then, and the neurosurgeons were more worried about the traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. than so much about the fact that I can't smell or taste it. And that the decision was made not to do surgery on the olfactory nerve because it was so, so uh, it was such an advanced and obtrusive um, surgery. Yeah. Do. And it was a secondary injury. They were much more concerned about the other thing. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and again, mentioning how the body can heal itself is that, well, the nerve, they, the, the nerves can heal themselves. And they thought, well, there's a chance that since it's not completely severed, that it could be healed. Right. Well, unfortunately that never ended up happening. And so I not smelling and tasting is that I learned later is that I was actually treating every meal like it was Thanksgiving and that I was eating until my stomach was full, Mm. but I wasn't able to manage that because I didn't know that I wasn't um, being, I wasn't able to smell or taste. And that wasn't even on my, on my radar at the time. Mm. Well, before I knew it, Angie, I went from 114 pound competitive athlete to when I got out of the coma, I was, I was down to 99 pounds, which was way too, too lean for me at the time, but not understanding or being mindful of my eating, I ended up gaining over 100 pounds. Wow. And so it was in that process. I mean, it took, you know, less than two years, but I kept asking myself, oh my God, how did I let this happen? And more importantly, why didn't I stop the weight gain sooner? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I pay attention when my clothes started feel, you know, started um, fitting tighter? And because I was, I don't know what happened, but I let way too much time pass before I was able to get myself back on track. So what do you think did happen? Like, because I'm sure you've reflected on it up to this, you know, where you are today. So what do you think caused that? I think dealing with all of the aftermath of being in such a severe accident and having my healthy lifestyle being completely derailed. And I also, I mentioned, you know, I'm a former athlete. I identified as an athlete. Oh my gosh, Angie, I used to wear that with pride, but I just slowly saw that slipping away because I was no longer able to train six hours a week. I was no no longer able to run like I had before because of my vertigo. I had to, you know, keep, and to this day, I still have to keep my head down. I can't run and look up. I could no longer play tennis anymore. I had tried to play tennis, but because of my vertigo and head injury, it just was too much to navigate on the court. Mm. And it was just trying to survive just trying to get by and trying to survive and wanting to get back into the workforce, pushing myself too hard and letting things get off my radar. Yeah. So what was that like for you mentally during that process? Because what I'm hearing from you is like this complete loss of identity. Like you completely identified yourself as an athlete and then all of a sudden all of that was stripped away. You know, you couldn't do the athletic activities that you were involved in. You couldn't run, you couldn't bike, you couldn't play tennis, you couldn't do any of that. So mentally, where were you? 
mentally I was broken. Yeah. I was so disappointed in myself. Mm I, the frustration of not being able to, to do the athletic, to do the training, do the, to do, to live my life how I used to just not being able to do it. And also I lost, I had uh, severe uh, memory issues, both short and long-term. And so I was also trying to navigate people in my hometown who would say hi to me, who I didn't know. Mm. I even had a boyfriend that I used to date that I had no clue who he was because I dated him during the window of when that memory was gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, just trying to navigate that. And even to this day, I still have trouble with, um, I I refer to it as my pistons not firing, meaning that sometimes I just can't get the the right word out, or I can't find the right word, or I lose my train of thought. And so it was, it took me a long time to just be able to accept this new reality. Yeah. And so do you think you turn to food for comfort in, in, in that? Because it's interesting to me because so clearly you couldn't be as active as you were, but you also didn't have taste and smell. So was food a comfort? Like, you know, the overeating, because you, like you just said, you were overeating, you were eating to that point of like fullness or even past fullness. Um, so, but you weren't really able to taste or smell the food. So where did the eating fit in there? The eating fit in because I was, I was not able to monitor what was happening. And I, when I was out with, uh, I was um, dating another gentleman at the time where we went out all the time. We went out to eat and we, it's just not being mindful of what I was eating and what I was not eating and not having it on my radar because my focus was in so many other different directions of just trying to get by, trying not to embarrass myself by saying something incorrectly or trying to make sure that I remembered the people who were in the room. And I also, I, well, certain things with food is that even though you can't taste them, your body still reacts to them. And what I'm getting at is sugar Okay, is that I wasn't one who ate a lot of sugar before, but it was interesting enough, enough, even though I couldn't taste sugar, it was interesting how my body still craved it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like, cause you would still get probably the dopamine hits from it in your brain, mm-hmm. even though you couldn't taste it. Right. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So Mm -hmm. even though you couldn't taste it as it was going in, you still had some of the neuro, the chemical reactions of the food in the brain. Well, and one neurosurgeon who is a smell and taste expert, he explained to me later in, in life is that you get satiated from first smelling Mm -hmm. the food. And so that never happened for me. And so, but when you would first smell it, then that would um, send off um, certain uh, chemical reaction in the body. Right. And, but then by the time you reach the point, so, so there would be like, he explained it as like a lever Mm -hmm. and that that lever was just constantly open. Gotcha. And so it wasn't until my stomach was full that I was um, able, that I was like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. 
A hundred percent. Like the actual di- the digestive response does start before you even start eating food, which is what I think you're referring to here. Like when you start right, smelling smell the food, yeah. When you start smelling the food, when you see the food that does trigger certain chemicals to be released in the brain that actually starts the digestive process. So your digestive digestive process was being started late because you were missing some of those early steps. Right. And so Uh, all of those extra calories, mm -hmm. you know, they add up. And I also went through the stages of, of trying these quick fix approaches. And, um, and I'm telling you, they don't work. They don't work. Initially, you might lose some water weight or initially you might be able to stay on one of these restrictive diets. And I can't tell you how many times people would tell me, Oh, well, you can't smell or taste. That would be easy for you. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. Uh, But so it wasn't until I created my own system and my own process, which I now call my five-step building block process that I was able to turn it back around. And mm-hmm. it took, I, it took me far too long. I, I spent decades trying to figure it all out. Hey runners, quick interruption to remind you to pause this episode, take a screenshot and share it to your social media so that you can help us grow this free podcast that we produce for you every single week. Or if you'd like to buy us a coffee and support the show that way, you can head over to realliferunners.com forward slash patron, P-A-T-R-O-N, and you could make a one-time contribution to the show and we'll send you a little gift of appreciation. All right, now back to the episode. Yeah, that's what that was actually my next question is how long did you struggle with this after the accident? Decades. 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 I mean, yeah. the weight didn't come. I mean, it took me years to get the weight on and and to uh, manage how I would be able to um, do my workouts, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, how I, I, I built tools to be able to navigate the new obstacles that I faced. Mm-hmm. And. and- And what did, like, how long did it kind of take you to develop that process? Like, was there kind of a turning point that kind of triggered that in your brain of like, I need to start doing this for myself. I need to figure this out on my own. Like what kind of led you to that point where you decided like, I need to create a plan or a, you know, a program that's right for me. Well, during, if we back up before I got to that point, I also went through this, I had, I obsessively had to tell people who I used to be because Mm -hmm. here I was this 215 pound, I'm not even five foot four, Angie. And so that's a lot of weight for me to be carrying around. And people were that knew me before, you know, they were were surprised and shocked. And I saw it on their faces Mm -hmm. when they saw me. And I would, I would obsessively tell people who I used to be. Oh, I used to be this. I used to be this competitive. I, you know, and the trigger, I remember it distinctly, is one particular person, they asked me, you used to do triathlons? And I think that was just the, the turning point for me that I had to figure this out. Yeah. Is that what I was doing? I was bumping my head against the wall, trying all these quick fix approaches. Mm-hmm. But so I'm a very uh, analytical person. And I, since then I had, I had earned the um, certification of project management professional. I learned so much about how to 
take a large project scale and do the methodical process of going through the project management methodologies. And so I got to thinking, well, if it works on a large scale, would it work on a micro scale? Mm -hmm. And so I did um, an analysis to see if it would, and it did. And so that's what happened is that I started to create a five-step process, which uh, mirrored the five the five process groups of project management, which are the, 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 the steps and methodology that a, that a large project goes through. And I started to put together these pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. And through that process, I started to create my own meal plan cards mm-hmm. because by that point I was learning like what type of food, even though I couldn't taste it, but maybe what I might enjoy over other food and started looking at food as uh, from the macro standpoint, rather than the what I might like to eat standpoint. So when you say that, though, like you say, you you are trying to figure out foods that you would like, foods that you might enjoy. How how did you measure that since you couldn't taste or smell? Well, certain foods, like so, for example, when it comes to fruit, I never my favorite fruit before was always a um, Granny Smith apple. And, uh, and, um, oh shoot, I can't think of the other one, but uh, Granny Smith apple, there's one other, but, uh, but I'll come back to that. And, um, papaya. Well, if I eat a papaya now, I wouldn't know what it was. There's not much to it. Um, and a Granny Smith apple, um, you know, I can't, I can't detect the the specific taste to that, Mm -hmm. but what I will say is that my now my favorite um, fruit is pineapple because there's more texture to it. Okay. It also I need to be cognizant to the fact that there's also a higher um, sugar level in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do but it's texture. So texture is everything. And so now I went through I actually went through and tasted all the different types of apples. And my favorite apple now, because there's more consistency with the crunch and with the, that, that sound that, that it, when you bite into a nice juicy apple, it goes crunch is the Fuji. Oh, okay. The Fuji. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting. So it's like you had to totally shift your, the way that you thought about food because it was no longer about the enjoyment because of the, the smell or the flavor. So now you are going to get enjoyment based on maybe color and texture and like the mouthfeel of, of the food versus the other things. 100%. And also looking at it from more of a um, nutritional standpoint. Right. Right. Which was going to be more nutritional for your body. Right. Rather than, I mean, before I, of course I would eat healthy and of course I'd eat my salads, make sure that I got all my vegetables and fruits and protein. Uh, But I turned and pivoted and looked at it from a more of a nutritional macro gotcha um, standpoint. Yeah. Like a more scientific standpoint, essentially. Yeah. You know what I, one of the things that I wanted to point out about what you were saying before too, to kind of help our listeners relate a little bit more to this too, is just I wanted to highlight one more time that loss of identity, because I think that this is something that all of us can go through on some sort of level, whether it's a macro level like you did or a micro level. Like, I think that, you know, as a mom, 
I think a lot of moms can relate to me when I say that there is a sense of that loss of identity once we become a mother. It's like we gain a new identity. We gain this identity of mother, but for a lot of us, there's also a loss of the person that we were before we became a mother and how we used to prioritize ourselves and how we used to prioritize health and fitness, right? Because motherhood, though people wouldn't necessarily think of it as traumatic, it is a complete upheaval of everything that your life looked like beforehand, right? And I think, or, you know, fatherhood as well, um, to, to a different degree. But when you become a parent, there is that sense of like, okay, I have this new identity and I had this old identity that is really no longer applicable. And how do I kind of bring these two things together? Maybe before I had kids, I was this fit and healthy person, but now I'm like running my kids all over and I'm not eating healthy and I'm not exercising well. So, you know, it doesn't have to be an event as traumatic as, you know, a bike injury, like you had a traumatic brain injury. It can just be, there are lots of times in our lives when things shift and we can kind of lose a part of who we are. And then it's about trying to now redefine that for ourselves. Right. And I think that's like the biggest process that you went through, um, after your injury, right. It's like trying to figure out who is, who is Becky now? Well, as I mentioned, I took far too long to, to figure this out. And so, and this was going through that process and, um, not just building the five-step building blood process that, you know, that enabled me to get my, my blood work back into a healthy range, able to get myself back into a healthy weight and being able, as you said, to accept the athlete that I am today. Yeah. Again, it took a long time, but this going through this process was the catalyst for me starting my business, build your best you. Mm -hmm. And through that journey, what I also learned is that before I was able to turn it around and create, as I said, my five-step building block process, what happened before that is that I'm actually uh, working on my goals to do a, a TEDx talk on this, and I'll be naming it the unexpected turn. But the lesson there is to have faith in your life's path because you never really know where that unexpected turn in your life will happen and why it led you there. Mm -hmm. And so what going through and thinking about that process and, and my entire journey is that there actually ended up being four pillars to being able to learn that life lesson. And which are one, acceptance, two, getting in line with your new reality, if you will, then being able to take action on it and holding yourself accountable. Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question, it was the process of acceptance, mm -hmm. being able to accept the person I am today yeah. and be thankful and grateful for what I can do. Because I know that there are, I used to work down by the, um, um, by the uh, Shirley Ryan um, lab hospital, which is in downtown Chicago. And I would see people who also suffered severe injuries and where I'm thankful and grateful for the fact that I can still walk 
that I can still run. Maybe I can't compete and I'm not going to win any division titles in any races anymore, but I can still do it. And so acceptance was accepting the athlete I am today. So it sounds like a big part of acceptance for you is gratitude. Yes. Understand thankful and grateful. I actually have it in my, uh, in my office, thankful and grateful. And every morning when I do my meditations and, and prayers is that I always start off. I am thankful and grateful. So is that really how you were able to accept the new you is just really trying to focus on those pieces that you were grateful and thankful for? It was the first step, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it, it goes much deeper than that. And so it's finding the acceptance, but then starting back with why you always start with why, as they say. Mm-hmm. And so why do I want to be healthy? Why do I want my fitness and health back? And another uh, pivotal turning point in my life was uh, my sister who had stage four breast cancer. She was only 57 years old when she died of breast cancer. And then our mother passed less than four months later. Wow. And it was, they were the, you know, the, the pillars of our family and, and, and we all, you know, looked up to them and, and I just, after my sister passed, I knew that she would do anything to still be here. And I just felt such a responsibility to being able to let go of my past and and the hurdles that I faced from my accidents and being able to accept who I am today and be thankful and grateful and do the most that I can with it. And I felt such a responsibility in her memory to do that because I know that she would do anything to be here. And how selfish of me for me not to be able to take the second chance that I received and do the most with it and be thankful and grateful for it. Because there are so many people who would love to be able to run a 5K. I've since done, since the accident and since being able to get the weight off and manage my new methods of training, I've since done three marathons three half marathons and countless 5Ks. I have no medals from them. I have, but that's okay. It's okay because I can still do it. And Angie, it took me a long time. That's easier said than done. When you're someone that used to just make fitness and health was your, my my days revolved around my workouts that I got in. So why do you think, like what role does health and fitness play in your life now? Like, why do you think it is so important for you? Like beyond, you know, obviously you have this sense of responsibility, you know, that you feel for for your sister and, and other people that have passed on. And I think that that's a really good way for, to kind of like bring a lot of us to start into action. But I think that it goes in, like needs to go deeper than that on a personal level level for us to continue forward with it. Right. So why do you think it's important for us to live a healthy and active lifestyle as we get older? Well, there's so many levels. And so let's start with, um, 
with the extreme example that I shared earlier is that the neurosurgeons told my family that they'd never seen someone with injuries like mine survive, let alone walk out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And it was because I was in such good condition at the time. And so if you think of that, number one, you don't know what unexpected turn is around the corner for you. And so why wouldn't you put yourself in the best position possible to be able to manage your unexpected turn? Mm -hmm. And also I missed that Becky before the accident. I, I missed her confidence and I missed her get up and go and her just, and, and part of that was driven by not just looking the part, if you will, but also feeling the part. Yeah. And that comes from eating healthy, nurturing your body and your mind so that you can, again, position yourself as best possible to move forward in this life. So why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do anything that you could to put yourself in a better uh, position? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it all sounds great. It's like, you know, unfortunately, like it is tough, you know, like, like you understand that it happened to you for years, for decades, right? That it was hard for you to kind of overcome some of those like mental and physical barriers that you had um, in the way. And it, my mother would ask me as only a mother could, she would ask me because she saw me gaining the weight. She saw how unhappy I was and how disappointed I was in myself. And she would say, she would ask me, Angie, you're the expert. What, why aren't you doing something? And so I don't want to make it sound like this is something that's so simple and so easy. So if we look at how today, how today's technology, how today's society is, it's, we want it and we want it. And so that is the message that I always give to my clients and is that there are no quick fix approaches. You have to be ready and committed to doing the work because this is a marathon. It's not going to change and happen overnight. I'm not going to prescribe to you what to do. I'm going to coach you through these five steps. And the secret sauce is creating a plan that works for you. Yeah. And that takes, that takes time, takes a commitment and you got to be willing to do the work. Yeah. That's the answer. Maybe people don't want to hear it, but my friend, that is the answer. And so my advice to any athlete who was derailed from their healthy lifestyle, as I say, is, uh, do you remember that game as a child, Etch-a-Sketch? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where you draw with the, both the little nozzles and then, then to start over, you had to shake it and Etch-a-Sketch, yeah. right? Well, so Etch-a-Sketch, start over, start from the very beginning is that you have to get re-educated on what needs to be done. Learn the basics of physical activity. What's the minimum? What are the benchmarks that the experts are advising us to eat to be healthy? What are the minimum cardio workouts that we need to do? 
Let's not forget strength training. What are the minimum benchmarks? After we've gone through the, the acceptance side, the, the building block one, if you will, the laying the foundation, which is the mindfulness of how to get to determine your why, to determine your vision of where you want, where do you want to be with your fitness and health? Then you can move forward and learn, educate yourself, as I said, on those benchmarks. Then you can start to develop your plan. Yeah. And it's creating the plan that works for you. My workouts, your workouts, they're for you. You're going to get the best benefit. I can't just mimic, oh, Angie's, you know, she's, she's run the, won these races and, oh, she's, you know, clicking off a 730. I'm going to do exactly what she does. No, it doesn't work. I have to find, if that's my vision, then I have to find the path that's right for me to get myself there. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that that's like one of the mistakes that a lot of runners make is that they do just try to kind of copy what other people are doing. You know, they see someone that has the results that they want and they just think that if they follow the exact plan and, you know, mimic what they're doing, that they'll get the same results. And unfortunately it just doesn't work that way. Um, and that's definitely something that we coach all of our athletes on as well is like finding that individual customized plan that's going to work for you, right. Based on where you are in your life, your lifestyle, you know, your work, your family, like all of the things that are happening in your real life, right? Like you, it needs to fit in to your real life to get you the results that you're looking for. And yes, I, I, I heard a yoga instructor say once that, look, we all have different life circumstances. And just because one, if you're in a yoga class, uh, flexible people just have to go a little bit further to get the same results as you. So don't judge yourself mm -hmm. with someone else. We all have different life experiences and we just have to accept them, get in alignment with them so that then we can create the actions that are right for us. That's it. So. I think you nailed it right there. I think that's a perfect place for us to wrap this up. So this has been so fun having this conversation with you. Is there anything else that you want to say that you haven't had a chance to say yet on the, on the episode? Because I think you summarize everything very beautifully right there at the end. I would just like to share with your listeners is that if you are dealing with an unexpected turn, if you have gotten derailed from your healthy lifestyle, then please know whatever the aftermath that you're dealing with, whether it was an accident, an injury, a stressful job, the worldwide pandemic, whatever it is, please just know that things can get better and that you can turn it around. Absolutely. So if you, um, as a listener, if you guys are interested in connecting with Becky, Becky, how can they reach you and connect with you more online if they like you and your message and want to connect with you? Well, if anyone would like to connect with me, I'm going to say the name of my business, but then I'm going to spell it out for you. Cause I got, uh, it is build your best you. So it's build B U I L D and then capital U R best, the EST, and then capital U. And so all of my social media, that is my, uh, my handle. And uh, you can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, and uh, LinkedIn. And so and YouTube. So my YouTube channel is build your best you. 
Awesome. So we will definitely put that information in our show notes. So if you guys are interested in connecting more with Becky, you can find all those informations um, on our website at realliferunners.com with the show notes for this episode. Um, We will have all that information there for you. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. It has been a pleasure having you here. And as always, guys, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Real Life Runners podcast. Now get out there and run your life.